Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Hey, good morning. My name is Sarah Brearley. I'll be doing the reading this morning. Um, It comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the, to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And then Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning." So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Um, Dear Lord, we are thankful that we can be together this morning, and we're thankful for this building to gather in. Please help us um, quiet our minds of busyness, thoughts of our schedules for the week, anxieties, um, so that we can focus on you and your love for us and your truth. Please be with Pastor Joel as he preaches this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
in uh, the United States in uh, the year 1790, uh, in that summer, there were a couple of big problems that people were debating. Uh, And one of those problems for this newly founded country uh, is how to uh, manage all of the financial debt of the various states and how that connects to the federal system. So kind of maybe what you could generally describe as the uh, finance system of the federal government. There was a big debate on how to figure that all out. And another uh, different debate happening uh, that seemed intractable was the question of where the capital of the United States should be located. Now, if you live here, I assume that you know the answer to where the capital of the United States ended up being located. But in 1790, this was uh, a huge debate, uh, pretty much between the North and South, trying to figure out where should the capital be placed. And so this guy named Thomas Jefferson invited a fellow Virginian, a guy named James Madison, who was in Congress at the time, uh, over to his uh, place in New York for a dinner. And uh, he also invited uh, this other guy who was the secretary of the treasury. His name was Alexander Hamilton. He invited him over as well. And uh, they had a dinner that night. And what came out of that dinner Uh, is the compromise of 1790. Uh, We don't know exactly what was said. We don't know exactly how everything worked out. But those two intractable intractable problems were resolved in uh, the room where it happened, right? Uh, So if you've listened to the Hamilton soundtrack, maybe you have it uh, memorized. But the room where it happens is uh, a Burr's take on what happened that night, how the compromise of 1790 came about. And what I want you to think about and understand is there are certain moments where you have the entire population of this new country, and you have these huge cultural divides, and you have these big problems. They're complex. How to set up a finance system for a new nation. That's not an easy problem. Uh, Then these debates on where should we place the capital. And sometimes these huge problems, uh, a pathway is made through those problems uh, through just a few people. In an intimate setting, Uh, sometimes there are rooms where things happen that shape the course of the nation. And that happened in the Compromise of 1790. And in the story of Ruth, what we're seeing unfold is this story of these huge challenges for a nation who've received God's promises. And they're working through all sorts of tensions including how does God's love and grace, his covenantal promises to us, how does that shape our lives and how we look at other people in our society, particularly outsiders and the vulnerable. They were working through problems like how is God going to establish his people when there are just so many powers around us, military powers, economic powers in the world in which we live And there are pivotal moments in the story of the people of God where through just a few individuals we see just how God works to accomplish his ends to his promises. We see God's love and grace poured out. 
And in chapter 3 of Ruth, we are in a sense being invited in. Unlike Burr, who sings uh, in, in, in the Hamilton soundtrack as an outsider who just longs to be on the inside. Here, in the story of Ruth, in a sense, the narrator is inviting us in to even understand some of these dynamics and how they play out. We're going to look at the continuing story, the unfolding story. So what we look at today, I want to just make note, is connected to what Dan has covered in the last two weeks. And so uh, it's probably best uh, to read Ruth as one story uh, all in one setting. But uh, that can be hard to do as a whole church in the way in which we do church on Sunday. So we're dividing it up. But we will try to build in continuity. And so uh, as we go through today, just remember this section of the book of Ruth is connected to what's come before. And we're going to look at it this morning in a couple of different points. The plan for the future and promise of redemption. So... Uh, just to set this up for you, in chapter 1, we are introduced to Naomi and to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And they both have effectively lost everything. Uh, they are in a difficult spot. Much of how people would have thought about their sense of security, their sense of place, uh, their sense of connectedness, Ruth and Naomi are on the far edge of all of those things. And Ruth, in an exemplary way, commits and takes a vow, an oath to Naomi to go where she goes, even though she's not obligated, but to show her love and care in the midst of all that they've lost. And so in chapter 1, we have them arriving back to Bethlehem, with nothing in hand and not much to offer, struggling to know even where they're going to find their next meal. And what Dan preached on last week from Ruth chapter 2, we get some resolution to the question of how are they even going to eat today? Where is their next meal going to come from? And we're introduced to this fellow Boaz uh, who has some connection to them and God provides for them uh, through the fields of Boaz. So in chapter 2, we get some relief for Ruth and Naomi. In the face of all that they've lost, they're able at least to have a sense of immediate provision. They know where their food's going to come from. And so that sets you up to understand when we open chapter 3 in verse 1, it's now almost a thinking through of the next big challenge for them. And so when the narrator starts off, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? It's like the next big challenge. So they now know, okay, we had food to eat last night, and we likely will have food to eat today. But that's not the same as having a sense of security and a sense of connectedness to a broader community. As Dan talked about last week, Ruth in particular, but also Naomi, they were pretty low on uh, the status uh, list of people in their time and place. And so... Naomi, this sits with her. She cares about Ruth. And so she's trying to think through, how can we find security for you? 
Uh, how can we figure out uh, how to stabilize our situation uh, with the next big problem? Like, how, how can we even think, like, where's our home going to be? How are we going to have a connection into a broader family? And therefore, connection into the broader community. And so in the ancient Near Eastern world, Naomi is doing business with, now that we know where to find food for today, she's doing business with the next big problem that they both would face. And so... She says to Ruth, I have a plan. I've got a plan for the future. And what we see in verses 2 through 4 is uh, her unpacking of her plan. She says to herself, what about Boaz? And describes where Boaz will be and an approach that Ruth can make to Boaz that will solve these problems. Now, before I go through this verse by verse, and I, I want to say a few things up front to help you understand, because some can be missed uh, in terms of the translation from Hebrew to English, exactly what's going on here. But uh, this is a bit of an unusual plan. Uh, in the ancient Near Eastern world, uh, and maybe for some of you today, it's not common uh, for your parents to set you up and say, hey, I know uh, who you should marry, and I've got a plan for exactly how you can figure out that engagement tonight. Get dressed and get ready. Uh, that was unusual, at least in that day. Mother-in-laws didn't always or even usually do that. And then the description of the language that she uses is full of double meaning. Uh, there is uh, a sense of preparation, some allusions to intimacy, uh, to marriage, to being together, uh, so that when we're uh, put into the setting of the threshing floor, and when, in verse 4 in particular, this description of when he lies down, observe that place, then go and uncover his feet, and then lie down and he'll tell you what to do, there is, uh, there's a lot loaded on to that. Uh, it's almost uh, like seeing the dialogue of uh, The Office uh, where it hits close enough to home and you think you understand what's going on, that even though it's a show that you're not immediately related to, you feel the awkward tension. Like you're like, you may hit pause or uh, adjust the volume and you're like, oh, what is going on here? What are these instructions? What's happening? And that's a bit like what the narrator is doing with Naomi's plan for Ruth's life. And I think it's important for us to understand just where they're at as this plan is served up. While it makes us feel uncomfortable, maybe, uh, particularly as we think through what is being asked of whom here, this context of figuring out they're on the fringes of society and they're struggling to figure out what does it look like for us to move forward and so Naomi's plan is, in a sense, a bold move to try to obtain security for Ruth. It involves some risk. Uh, I think it involves doing things not in the normal way. But it seems like the narrator is inviting us into what it looks like for people who are struggling and are on the cusp, who are trying to figure out, how do I find security? And that's what sits underneath of Naomi's instructions to Ruth. 
So she lays out this plan, and Ruth picks it up. She replies in verse 5 and says, all that you say, I will do. And then she went down in verse 6 and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her, and then some. So Ruth begins to follow her mother-in-law's plan. Ruth uh, heads down to the threshing floor, this area where in harvest season they would do the work of, uh, well, I won't explain it all to you, but you get the sense. They're doing agricultural work of uh, developing a food supply uh, for people that they can either use themselves or sell. And uh, that's where all the work is happening. And so Ruth heads down. And she follows her her mother-in-law's instructions. And in verse 8, at midnight, Boaz wakes up. And behold, a woman is at his feet. And he says, who are you? And she answers, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are redeemer. And so here is what unfolds. Ruth heads down and follows Naomi's instructions. And when Boaz wakes up, we see a few transitions happening right in the midst of the story. So we're invited into this intimate moment where Ruth, out of love for Naomi, is putting herself in a vulnerable spot for the sake of securing herself and Naomi's future. And, and we don't know exactly, I mean, we know because you've read some of the other story and you maybe have read all of it, but at this moment, no one knows how Boaz is going to respond. So Ruth is acting in faith and acting boldly, and she is transitioning, even in the language, to invite Boaz to participate in her security. And one Old Testament scholar in his commentary on Ruth notes that while in the buildup, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, Ruth is listed as like an outsider, like the Moabitess, the uh, person from Moabite. Um, So she's like this outsider, a foreigner, right? Here in this intimate moment, in the room where this happens, uh, we are invited in and Ruth uses almost language of you and I, a language of more we're on par. And she presents herself not just as an outsider, but uh, as someone who can be married to and invites Boaz, in a sense, to answer his own prayer for her, that she would find security and that she would be provided for. And she proposes to Boaz that he be the one who secures her future in this town of Bethlehem. And so, Boaz, while startled, gets this invitation from Ruth, and he responds in verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman." 
that description in verse 11, worthy woman, connects to Proverbs 31. And so later, if you have time or if you're reading through the Bible this year, when you get to Proverbs 31 and it describes just what a woman of character, what a worthy woman looks like, uh, this is, I, I think, one of the few other times in all of the Hebrew scriptures where there's this explicit connection between the story of Ruth and Proverbs 31. Boaz's answer to Ruth here is that she is exemplary in her love and kindness toward Naomi, that her character is known, that her demonstration of character and trusting God, her pattern of faithfulness to Naomi, uh, knowing the story going all the way back to chapter 1 to this very moment where Boaz says, Ruth, you could have followed your own heart's desires. You could have uh, gone lots of different ways. But instead, out of love and care for Naomi, you have come to me and asked me to function as a redeemer. Ruth's uh, pattern of behavior here is recognized as, uh, in a sense, selfless love. A, a giving up of maybe what her own uh, desires would have been or her own natural inclinations in terms of where she would have turned. And Boaz interprets what happens in that room and Ruth's approach to Boaz as a demonstration of selfless love and care for the people closest to her. That's a reiteration of how Boaz had described Ruth in chapter 2. It's further uh, bolstered by his description of how basically her character has been on display for everyone to see. And so Boaz is recognizing Ruth's character at this climactic point that she has given up maybe what would have uh, naturally been a pathway to follow and in selfless love demonstrated care for Naomi. There is a pattern that runs through Scripture that this dialogue is helping to further build out. And that pattern is that uh, uh, twofold. There's two kind of ways to think about what's happening here. The, the first is that there is a pattern of Scripture where love is defined not uh, merely by how you feel, but often how you treat others, others in your life and those around you. And that love has a selfless characteristic, that love oftentimes means giving up some of what you may want uh, for the sake of someone else because you love them. And that pattern of love that we see in the lives of women and men here, most particular in Ruth, is a pattern in Scripture because it's rooted in God's character. How we know and understand words like love aren't defined by the music that we listen to, although the music that we listen to is going to try to define love. It's not defined by the shows that we watch, although the shows that we watch are going to try to define love. But how Scripture, including the story of Ruth, calls us to think about what love is, what caring is, what it means to uh, truly look out for the people around you, is all rooted in the pattern of God's character and his love for his people. 
And so that's what's underneath this story. It's part of what drives Ruth's character and who she is and how upstanding she is, is that the type of love that she's demonstrating to Naomi that Boaz is seeing and being invited to give witness to is the type of love that God shows to his people. So that when we see this unfolding through Scripture, this pattern throughout God's work of redemption, through Abraham's departure to a land that he doesn't know, and his pleading for people in other areas, to Jacob's exploration of new lands, to Ruth's love for her mother-in-law, down to the arrival of Jesus himself. Where Paul, in the book of Philippians, describes Jesus as the one who gave up his status out of love for you. That Jesus exemplified just what it means to love others by giving up his status, his privilege, all that he had for the sake of bringing about redemption for you and for me. That's the type of love that scripture unpacks for us. And Ruth's story, her love for Naomi, becomes this pivotal part to how God unfolds that story of redemption. Because we don't hear Paul's letters to Philippi uh, unless Jesus arrives and announces God's kingdom. And Jesus' arrival in that birth uh, is connected all the way back to the story of Ruth and Boaz. And so it's this thread of selfless love, of kindness, of care that Ruth is exemplifying, that she becomes part of this unfolding story of redemption. The other aspect here is Ruth herself, an outsider, being invited in. As the story of Christianity unfolds, it is a story not of making everyone one ethnicity or part of one culture, but as just as Ruth comes in here, as that story continues to unfold, the story of Christian faith is of an invitation for outsiders, people who are on the margins, people who are vulnerable, people who wouldn't naturally think of themselves as qualified of being invited in to participate in and receiving full status as the beloved of God. Now that is some goodness and grace. That the Christian faith is not something that uh, you have to earn your way into or that you have to have a certain resume or curriculum vitae to demonstrate why you deserve to be a part, but that Christian faith is open to all who have ears to hear. That that love that Ruth exemplifies, the love that's been demonstrated by Jesus, that that love is available to you, friends, by turning in faith to Jesus. Ruth, the outsider, coming in. Throughout the story of Scripture, we see love in unexpected places, and it uh, unfolds in unexpected ways. And Ruth, in this masterfully told narrative, upholds Ruth in her love for Naomi and her connection to Boaz as this example, not only of Ruth's character and who she is, but of how God's covenant love, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, even to us, is unfolded. We're invited to participate in it. 
As the story goes on, Boaz, uh, responding to Ruth in verses 14 and following, gives her uh, some grain. Basically, uh, going back to that tension of where is her food going to come from in a day-to-day way, Boaz, as he sends her back to Naomi in trying to watch out and protect her character, also continues to provide for her. And says, bring me your garment that you are wearing and hold it out. And she held it out and he measured six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she goes to Naomi and Naomi's like, so what happened? And then Ruth tells her everything that happened in the night. And she says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. That sets up the closing chapter of Ruth. The rest of the story that you'll have to come back next week to hear and unfold. But it is God's provision for Ruth, his protecting her, even in her bold acts where she's put in a vulnerable spot. That preserve Ruth's story for us in the 21st century. That invite us to see this woman of character and faith. And invite us not only to follow her example of loving kindness, to die, in a sense, a bit to ourselves. And I know that that may run counter to some of the cultural messages that we're bombarded with. This idea that we're actually supposed to give up some of ourselves for the sake of others is part of what it truly looks like to love people. And that is part of not only Ruth's story and her example for us as a church today, But it's rooted in God's character, demonstrated most vividly for us in Jesus' redemption, in his paying for our sins. As we sung earlier, that he paid it all that we may live. That is what the Christian hope looks like. That is part of the value of understanding this description of how the people of God have been formed through the centuries. It's not only to give us insight into Jesus' genealogy, although it's part of that for sure. It's more than that. It's a challenge to us to think through the ways that we're tempted to act and behave toward others in our lives. It's a challenge to us to think about love not cheaply, not merely as some sort of a fleeting feeling uh, or as this obligatory thing that I have to say, but to think about love as a pattern of looking out for the good of others even when it costs me something, and maybe particularly when it costs me something. That's what it looks like to love others. And that's the challenge for us as a Christian church to do that. Not because we're on the outside and unless we love, then we won't be invited in. But quite the opposite. It's because we are now adopted into Ruth's family. And so now this invitation and challenge comes to us as family members to live up to our family name. To learn and follow in Ruth's footsteps. May God give us strength and wisdom to do that well. Let me pray. God, I ask that you will watch over us as a community and that as uh, we continue to work through this story of amazing redemption, not only Ruth's story, but uh, how it connects the broader story of our faith in Jesus, I ask that you will give us strength 
I ask that you will give us wisdom. And I ask that you will empower us to truly love one another. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.